0: Seventeen fifty nine,
1: you guys, it's Rick Tittle.
2: Hey, welcome to another live edition. It's a two for Tuesday, double shots of Judas Priest and Van Halen, all that other good stuff I always say, and also Taco Tuesday as well. Whatever rhymes, whatever the uh, alliteration. Anything else, any other tea food that you could have that would rhyme with it? I'm waiting, like Judge Smells. Well, I'm waiting. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. 1-800-878-7529. That's what gets you in and that's what gets you heard coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Big shout out to our brave men and women listening both home and abroad in uh, foreign locales as well as domestically. We are here for you. We bring you all the home cooking. You got any okra? I don't have that. We got most of the home cooking. So come on in and get heard. The hot stove is piping everywhere but Oakland and Kansas City and a couple other, <laughs> couple other places. And that's because tomorrow there's going to be a lockout. And so everybody's in a mad race to get your deals done. College foot boil, foot boil olive oil, turmoil. Talk about that as well <clears throat> as we look at that frenzy. But uh, we need to talk uh, to Danny Cannell on the other side former Seminoles quarterback. He'll take a look at some of these great conference championship games coming up, and uh, we'll also uh, visit with our friend Karen Lyle at 940salesporttalk.com. We're going to have the College Football Hall of Fame CEO, Kimberly uh, Bodin, on the show. Baudin. And we also have director Lisa Marino for her new film, Jerry's Last Mission, about the pilot who flew the last combat mission over Japan in World War II. And we'll have Marisol McKee, uh, for the big Schmodown event uh, as well. And then the against-the-number guests we'll have at eleven, twelve. It's all here. It's all for you. And you may participate. 1-800-878-PLAY. Come on back. 5G
3: is here, but the big carriers want you to sign a pricey long-term contract to get access. Well, not anymore, because Straight Talk Wireless has rolled out 5G coverage nationwide, with plans starting at just $35 a month and no contract. Plus, get a Samsung Galaxy A32 5G for $299. All on America's best networks. 5G coverage, 5G phones, less money. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. 5G capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. Do you have a home that you don't want anymore?
0: That's 800-693-8290.
4: Microband 24 protects against Staphylococcus aureus and Enterobacter aerogenes bacteria, but does not provide 24-hour protection against viruses. Every time you touch a surface, you leave behind bacteria. Use Microband 24 sanitizing spray to keep surfaces sanitized all day. Spray on hard surfaces to kill 99.9% of bacteria and viruses initially, including the virus that causes COVID-19 microband 24 keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours touch after touch when used as directed microband 24 touch after touch it doesn't give up
2: titillating sports with rick tittle rick tittle is a genius the best show ever he's so wonderful genius the best show ever He's so wonderful, titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a, he's so handsome. He's a genius. Hey, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's great to bring to the show a former uh, quarterback Danny Cannell and broadcaster as well. He's here to talk about uh, some of the uh, college football playoff Heisman and conference championship week lines at Bet Online. Danny, I was just thinking, you know, you're a, a Florida guy through and through, high school and of course with the Seminoles, but yet you get drafted by the New York Giants, you get drafted by the New York Yankees, you play for the the New York Dragons. What is the, and then you work as a broadcaster. I mean, are you more of a New Yorker now at this point?
5: Absolutely not, Rick. I am. (laughs) I am. Now, I loved my time with the Giants. And, but right now it is 71 degrees out where I live in (laughs) South Florida. And it is chilly. Like, we got sweaters on. It's cold here in South Florida. I am one of the rare native South Floridians who actually was born and raised here. And it's every season. And this probably didn't bode well for my career. It probably wasn't the best career move. But, like, as soon as the season ended, I was on the first plane to South Florida to get back to the warm weather where I trained. When my career came to an end, my wife's from South Florida. We came up, set up shop here. I did live in Connecticut for five years when I was with ESPN. That was about five years ago. And my wife – those winters were extremely, extremely long winters. So we got back down to South Florida. That's where I raised my kids. It's a great spot to be. So, yeah. And you can say where I live on the East Coast. So I'm in, uh, in Delray Beach, which is, you know, between West Palm and, and Fort Lauderdale. And it is a version of New York South. You get a lot of New Yorkers who move here, at least for the wintertime, if not full time. So I still get my New York flavor, but I get the best weather to go
2: with it. You know, years ago, I used to do shows with with Josh Booty, who was a, you know, he played for the Marlins and then, you know, he was the LSU quarterback and he, you know, sat on the bench for the, the Seahawks and the Browns. But is it almost kind of a curse in a way when you're good enough to play two different sports to try to pick which one is the one?
5: It's a great question. And I know Josh pretty well as kind of, you know, similar career paths. I do, and I think it is tough. I mean, I I will tell – I'll take this to my grave. I think I was a better baseball player than I was a football player. Mm -hmm. I think my skill set – like, I was more laid back. Like, I always felt a little bit out of place. When I was on a baseball field, a baseball diamond, when I was on the mound or shortstop or at the plate, I felt like I was the best player out there. When I played football, I looked around the field, especially when I got to Florida state and I was like, what am I doing on this field with these insane athletes who are all faster, bigger, stronger than me. Like, so I had to like think my way around. And that was where I kind of made up for that lack of athleticism was all right. I'm going to be a quarterback who can think. Um, And then just opportunity presented itself where I just kept, kept taking advantage of the opportunities. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if it hurts. Like I, I had a great existence. I, you know, I didn't have a great NFL career, but I was able to play seven years, which is more than most. But I still – one of the second guesses of my life is what would have happened if I would have fully committed to baseball. But talk to any baseball player about how, how hard it is to get through the minor league system against not only the best talent in America, which is what you have to do in, in football, but the best talent in the world. I mean, that's a, it's, baseball has become a world sport – it's much tougher to actually grind your way up to the top than it is in football, where if you get drafted in the fourth round, which is where I was, you're pretty much guaranteed to stick around for a couple years and get an opportunity. Where in baseball, you get drafted in the fourth round, like you might get three years in minor leagues, and if you're not succeeding, you're done.
2: No, I, I'm, you know, I completely agree with what you said. All right, let's look at some of these great games. Houston is going to be playing Cincinnati in the AAU. And before the season began, we probably wouldn't have cared too much, but this is a huge game. And there are a lot of people who are kind of writing Cincinnati off. I was talking to Pete Futak yesterday and he was saying, you know, you look at all these other teams that have seven, eight mountains to climb Cincinnati only had one and it was Notre Dame. So uh, do you think that the Cougars have a chance for an upset or do you think the, uh, the Bearcats have their eyes on the prize?
5: I do. So with, Uh, You know, the point spread where it is, where it's pretty heavy at 10 and a half, 11 points, I actually like Houston versus the number. Cincinnati has needed style points all season long, and yet they've very rarely gotten them. They're not as dominant as they were even last season. I think Cincinnati wins the game. I hope they do. I want to see the college football playoff committee put in a really awkward position of having to give a group of five team an opportunity and let them go win. But too, that's too many points for me. Houston's a team that has won 11 games in a row. And I know Cincinnati's won 12, but Houston has an edge on them. And they, they have a quarterback in Clayton, toon who I think can put up some points. I think this will be a close game. I mentioned Cincinnati needing style points. They haven't – You know, I, I don't know if you know the old acronym, good teams win, great teams cover – Cincinnati has not been a great cover team down the stretch in the back end of the season. In a championship game environment where Cincinnati, where I do think they don't need any more style points, all they need to do is win, I think they win the game, but probably closer to a touchdown than the double-digit spread.
2: Very interesting. Uh, Georgia and Alabama, of course, the SEC championship, and Alabama needed uh, Houdini to get past uh, uh, Auburn-Georgia. I guess we're just sort of waiting to uh, crown them as the champs. But then again, Georgia has had a little bit of choke in them over the years. uh, How do you see this championship?
5: So this is a really tough number, and it's been moving towards Georgia since Auburn struggled in the Iron Bowl. I mean, that Iron Bowl, four overtimes for Alabama to beat an Auburn team that finished the season 6-6, and it's understandable. At six and a half, I would lay the points with the Georgia Bulldogs they seem so focused. They have not had one even slip-up game where it's been close in the second half. The closest game they had all season long was uh, winning 10-3 to against Clemson, which was a great defense. And this is kind of crazy to even say this out loud, but Alabama's defense is not good enough, I don't think, in this match, to give Georgia much problems. And we know about Georgia's defense. I worry about Bryce Young, who's had a spectacular season. I think he's going to be running for his life most of the night. He might be able to put up some points on the board, but I think Alabama's defense is going to struggle, and I think Kirby Smart grinds out a win by at least a touchdown or more. Now, keep an eye on the number, because if it moves over a touchdown, if it gets to 7.5, I think there's some value on the tide, but at 6.5, I'd go ahead and lay those those points and take the dogs.
2: Michigan and uh, Iowa in the Big Ten, and a lot of people think, you know, know, Harbaugh finally, after seven years, beats Ohio State, beats them soundly, and then here's where he pulls a Harbaugh, and they choke. In this game, I don't see it happening. I'm, I'll go with the, the maize and blue in this.
5: I'm with you. I lay the 11-2. Now, it was there's a very there's a temptation for that you know letdown hangover game. I mean, this is the first time in six years that Michigan gets over that hump. They beat Ohio State. We all saw the scene in Ann Arbor where they stayed on the field for about two hours, soaking it in, reveling in it. Jim Harbaugh's talking trash. I just feel like this Iowa team. I lean towards the under at 43-and-a-half because I don't see any way Iowa's going to put up more than maybe a touchdown, but probably closer to a field goal against this Michigan defense. If they can hold Ohio State's defense in check and do physically what they did to Ohio State, I think they're going to be able to do the same versus Iowa's uh, offense. Iowa's defense, I do think, is actually more physical than Ohio State's. I think they could slow down Michigan a little bit to where I'd lean towards the under. But I think Michigan, they're feeling okay, we've heard for so long, not only about our record versus Ohio State, but we've had to watch Ohio State get in the playoffs. I think they'll be able to shift focus and look at the opportunity to get into the playoffs, and maybe have an opportunity to win a national championship. And I think to make the most of it against an Iowa team that's 10 and two, but they're not a very good 10 and two.
2: Last question for you, and I'm just looking at Bet Online. One of the numbers that really jumps out at me is in the Mac. The total is seventy-three and a half. So Kent State and Northern Illinois—do either of these teams play any defense?
5: No. Uh, there's a couple overs. <laughs> I like that one. The, uh, the ACC championship game—take the over in that one. Teams at this point are what they are, and if you don't play very much defense. That's probably what you're going to see. And the tighter games, like the tighter spreads with the big boys where you've seen defenses shine, a George, Alabama, I lean the under on that one. But in some of these ones where you've seen offensive minded teams and their defenses struggled, go ahead and ride the trend. You know, there's a temptation to say, well, that's so many points. There's no way they're going to go over it. Go ahead and go over on that one all day long. And it's more fun to root for the over anyway.
2: There he is, lucky number 13, Danny Cannell for Bet Online. Danny, thanks for coming by, man. Appreciate it.
5: Rick, have a great afternoon and enjoy the games this weekend.
2: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tuttle. We'll take a quick break. Come on back. Open lines at 1-800-878-PLAY.
0: That's 800-760-1845. Where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Great
1: under a That's on calls me brother
0: But he loves to kill fun. And the power that he feels. When he trigger
8: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: Well, thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the program. By the way, kids, did you know that it is time for today's Bank of America Cash Rewards Player of the Day? J.D. McKissick caught a touchdown pass from quarterback Taylor Heineke, ran for another and accounted for 56 yards from scrimmage against the team he broke into the NFL with in Washington's 17 to 15 win over the Seattle Seahawks. The win moved Washington to 5 and 6, which is good for the 7th seed. <laughs> it's sad in the NFC right now and a potential playoff position in the expanded postseason. NFL And McKissick ran seven times for 30 yards and caught five passes for 26 in the two-touchdown effort. And, yes, that would amount to those 56 yards of total offense. And that's today's Bank of America Cash Rewards Player of the Day. He's listening right now. What do I get out of it? I mentioned your name. That's what you get out of it. All right, the hot stove. Piping hot and get ready for a lot more today because as i mentioned it looks like we're going to have a lockout now you lock baseball players out in december ooh i'm so scared but still it's a bad precedent and because when you're locked out now you get got to get unlocked out is that what i mean unlocked out i think so but if you look at the top free agents the top 10 Who's left? Carlos Correa is still the jewel in the crown. He's out there. Uh, Chris Bryant is still there. Freddie Freeman is holding the Braves (laughs) to the fire. And um, I guess you would say maybe a Marcus Stroman if you want to put him out there as well. But if you look at um, some of the other players out there that have been getting paid like – uh, Eduardo Escobar with the Mets. The Mets went out and got Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, Starling Marte. And Starling Marte was four years, $78 million. And then, of course, we talked about this yesterday, the most money per year, $43.3 million per year, three years, Max Scherzer. The Mariners gave five years, $115 million to Robbie Ray. The uh, AL West gets better. Marcus Simeon in the uh, AL West along with Corey Seager filling out their infield. Marcus Simeon, seven years, $175 million, which is basically half total. Now there's more years because he's a little bit younger. <clears throat> but Corey Seager, that was the one after my show, that was a little bit of a uh, a shocker. Uh, to say the least, 10 years, $325 million. His entire career, of course, spent with the Dodgers. Now, he's a great player. He's won MVPs in postseason series as well. But it's two massive commitments that they have made. They have paid out a half a billion dollars, the Rangers, on two guys, Seager and Simeon, And um, for the rest of this decade, barring any health issues or bizarre trades or retirements or mental breakdowns, this will be your double play combo in the new Globe. Is it Globe Life Stadium? I think I'd always think that they could change it after a year. Like maybe it's uh, Charleston Chew Stadium at this point. But uh, these guys are getting paid this money because the Rangers want to win. I mean, they had a stadium that was barely 20 years old and they had to build another one. And they have a TV contract that is like the Yankees on the Yes Network, which they own. Or it's like Nessun with the Red Sox. They have an insane television contract and this is why they're able to fork out. And then, oh yeah, John Gray was signed, John Gray would have been the number one story in Texas, you know, former first-round pick of the Rockies. The Rockies let him walk. Now he's a, oh, yeah, also him. And they also signed Cole Calhoun, the former ASU player, Angel Diamondback, and uh, that's nothing to write home about. But if that was the A's, that would be their big offseason acquisition that they got Cole Calhoun, which is pretty horrifying. But Seeger can really hit. And he had the fourth-highest OPS among non-first-base infielders the last two seasons, the only ones that had higher, Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, and Jose Ramirez. He is in the 80th percentile in just about every type of crazy, wacky new stat, like percentage of batted balls, exit velocity, uh, launch angle between 10 and 30 degrees. He is a trigger-happy guy. There's no doubt, but he makes contact, so it's okay. The concern is, is that he has had a lot of back issues. And um, he has trouble coming in on balls hit to him. But look, he's going to be fine. This is a guy drafted out of high school, 18th overall, spent his whole career in L.A. As I say, he's a career 297 hitter. He's got two all-star appearances. Uh, as well now last season he missed a good chunk of time because he broke his hand he got hit by a pitch in the spring he played almost 100 games though last year hit 306 16 home runs and 57 rbi so um notable yes very notable now there have been um some other moves excuse me as well Just, you know, teams, they don't have to all be big splashes. Like, if you look at the Marlins getting Jacob Stallings in a four-player trade with the Pirates, he becomes their starting catcher now. We're now hearing reports that Javier Baez has agreed to a six-year, $140 million contract with the Tigers. The Tigers aren't fooling around. And if you think about a team that just stinks to high heaven, and you're like, why would I want to go there? You know, as you say, Alvisail Garcia, why do you want to go to the Marlins? He's like, eh, you know what? Why not? <laughs> you know, Kevin Gosman and the Blue Jays, $110 million. <clears throat> Uh By the way, Jan Gomes uh, got two years and uh, $13 uh, million as well uh, to go to the uh, Chicago Cubs, kind of an under-the-radar move. But for me, the Tigers, that... I've said this before, I'll say it again, and no one has ever agreed with me on this, but the coolest uniforms in baseball are Tigers home uniforms, basically the same one Ty Cobb wore. I know the gothic D is a little bit different, but just white, the gothic D, navy blue piping. That's it. And on the road, they wear the orange bill and the gray jerseys that say Detroit. Those are nothing to write home about. Those look like softball uniforms, but the home Detroit Tigers uniform I like it better than anything my my team, the A's, do. I like it better than anything that that a classic uniforms like the Yankee pinstripes or any of that. And you just think Detroit is a sleeping giant. It wasn't that long ago under Jim Leland, then they had Verlander and and Miggy in his prime, and and uh, you know Victor Martinez. These guys are going to the playoffs every year. So as they say, a uh, a sleeping giant. But the um you know as we as we follow along, there are more uh talks about guys avoiding arbitration and just you you have to move now is what it is because now you don't like I said you don't have to the a's are thinking we don't have to do anything and by the way, Javi Baez has an opt out after two years, and his limited trade clause allows him to block ten teams, one of them is the a's remember when um uh we <laughs> when The uh, what was his name? Holiday. Matt Holiday went to St. Louis. He had one team on his no trade list, and it was Oakland. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, the uh, I I think it's funny too is that uh, the the Padres hired Francisco Cervelli to be the team's catching instructor, and he's like, Oh, well. Isn't this, uh, aren't I still a catcher? And it's like, uh, no. Brian Snicker had his option exercised for 2024. That wouldn't even have made him a lame duck. He still had two years running. Um, so we'll keep an eye on everything as this, this show goes along. But the, um, the Jeff Passan reported uh, at 3.30 in the morning, our time out here on the West Coast, that they were going to have another CBA talk. So I guess they're at the bargaining table right now, but a lot of people are very pessimistic that they can get everything done right now. So, guys, like who do we keep an eye on? As I said, Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa, and Chris Taylor. The Dodgers, especially after some of the losses they've had with Seager and Scherzer, they're probably going to really step it up because they want to keep CT9 or whatever he is, CT6, CT3, whatever, uh, in Dodger blue. Alright, when we come back, we'll get a little sailing out there on the bay. Come on in.
1: house
6: when I wonder if will ever be a part.
9: This is Karen Lyle of Salesport Talk. Let's listen to a conversation I was having with Matthew Byers, a flag maker, about tall ships, races, cruises, and flags. Well, you know, Matthew, also this tradition of flying flags, from my research, and I'm sure you have some things to add to that with your extensive knowledge, it started, you know, back in the days of the tall ships, you know, more than 300 years ago, um, when captains or companies flew flags or countries flew flags during wars, just so they wouldn't shoot on their own people. Uh, what are some of the things you know about, you know, like before the United States was, was, was established?
10: The, going way back, hundreds and hundreds of years, the flag that is flown uh, were flags that were flown on ships. It's all about communication, uh, where <laughs> one ship could be identified by another from a distance out to sea. Is it a friend or is it a foe? Uh, then they have the signal flags, which are still used today uh, for communicating various message, messages from one ship to another. Not really necessary these days with radio communication, uh, but uh, the Navy still, uh, still use them. Um, but the flags, uh, flags go back a long way. I can tell you that the oldest flag, at least national flag that is still flown today, is the Danish flag, which has been the national flag of Denmark since 1260.
9: Also, Matthew, the rules are rather formal when it comes to bridges for races or cruising, where the yachts that are representing the different clubs fly their flags, because there's some competition there. Tell tell us about how they're used in races.
10: In racing? Mm -hmm. The rules changed recently, a couple of years ago. Originally, for race Signals, there were uh, either three flags or cones colored red, white, and blue. Uh, The white flag goes up, or the white shape goes up. That's 15 minutes before start. Uh, The red shape goes up. That's 10 minutes, or pardon me, uh, 10 minutes for the white shape. Uh, Five minutes, the red shape goes up. And then for go time, the blue shape goes up. Now it's different where... You can use various signal flags to represent different fleets that are racing, uh, or there are what is called there are class flags, which is a square flag with the logo of whatever class is going to be racing in that particular uh, series.
9: Thank you, Matthew. This is Karen Lyle of Salesport Talk.
2: All right. Thank you so much for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast around the world on American Forces Radio Network and on our twitch.tv high def 1080p webcam. You can see Karen Lyle from SalesportTalk.com is in studio as she always is at 940 on Tuesdays. How are you, Karen?
9: I'm doing great, Rick. It's so great to be here today.
2: Very nice to have you, as is our guest. And that is Captain Johan Steinke. And he is here to talk about his experience sailing tall ships, and also his uh, book, his children's book, The Greatest Captain in the World 2, which I have in my hands and I'm holding up up to the cameras uh, right now. And um, uh, first of all, Captain, nice to have you on the show. When did you get the first uh, inkling that you could uh, write successful children's books?
11: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on your show, folks. Um, Yeah, I got, well, I've always been into stories, even as a little kid, and I love writing. Uh, but uh, really it was my, I had a shipmate named Joel Rood on the tall ship I was on. And he was at the time this young 18-year-old ADD kid who just was literally bouncing off the walls. He was an acrobat. But he could tell the most incredible stor- stories I have ever come across. And he'd always introduce the crew and introduce the captain and come up with some wild tale. And when I discovered he was making them up, like improvising them, I was like, oh, man, some of these stories would make a great kid's book. And so I sat him down one evening. Uh, we went through a bunch of, you know, like scenarios, like, oh, did the captain ever come across pirates or this or that? And then many, many, many years later, I put together as a kids' book and found an amazing illustrator, and uh, hired him, and that was that.
9: Well, Johan, it's so good to talk to you on the show. It was great seeing you and your first mate that you met on the Lady Washington when I met you <laughs> back in the day. Who is now your wife, and you have two little boys. How do your little boys like the stories?
11: Oh, they love it. They, uh, I got a, a yeah, like a one and a half year old and a three year old, and they'll they'll sit down every time I pull out the because there's there's two books. There's the Grace Captain and the Grace Captain of the World Two T O O. And they love both. They love both books. They love the drawings. They love the poetry. I notice little kids, especially like one-year-olds, two-year-olds, even if they don't understand what's going on, they like the the rhyme of it and the the rhythm. So, or meter, I guess, would be the poet's word.
9: I but like yeah, so I like the fact that it. you had um, a, a female captain the second time and a male captain the first time, and then then there was a race, and they both agreed to tie to save face. You know, that's a cute ending. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs>
11: Yeah, well, I, wanted, I wanted a cameo, and, uh, yeah, I, I was wondering if you were going to mention that, because, uh, you know, you do so many, you have so many racers and stuff on your program, so, yeah, it's a pretty pretty epic race they go through on the second boat, or the second book, I mean.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, just I'm just looking take us through the uh, second book, because as it starts off, on a ship far away from... Any quiet, calm bay was a family headed for a new home, and they were huddled close together and worried for the weather as the planks began to shake and groan. Take us through. What's this plot here?
11: Oh well, basically, so so the the concept for the second book is uh, you have a obviously an immigrant family and they're headed somewhere, and uh, and uh, yeah, so they're they're headed. Cross an ocean, and then basically the sailors come down and they start telling crazy stories about their captain
9: well in, in many ways i I, I remember the, the the paul Bunyan stories, you know the tall tales that that were told in the about the wilderness with paul bunyan and this this series that you 've done the greatest captain in the world is kind of like that, but for the ocean, and you know johan, you are a real tall ship captain and you've been a captain of many tall ships both on the east and west coast um, we met and sailed on the lady Washington and then we went down the coast together on the my way which was a 75- foot catamaran what was what was it like for you going from from um, being a tall ship captain which is certainly one lifestyle to being a yacht captain which is another lifestyle
11: oh my gosh two different worlds uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that you could be in the same environment and share so many of the same things and yet just have an entirely different feel. Uh, I mean, the, first of all, the luxury, obviously. <laughs> you know, this, this catamaran was, was all souped up and, and absolute, absolute luxury. I mean, I had a proper living room, you know, whereas I'm used to being like, oh, I got a, I got a door. That's amazing. I got, a, I got a bunk that's big enough for me. That's incredible. So, um, yeah, that's the tall ship world. So yeah, just, just totally different world. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's almost no comparison. I can see why, why people absolutely love it. And, uh, I definitely, I love the old wooden boats, you know, like the, the Creek and the, you know, in the book, you mentioned the Creek and groan of the planks. Like you don't get that on fiberglass so much, you know, you don't, you don't get that on metal boats. It's just not the same. So there's something about that. I just, the romance of it, I guess I like, But uh, yeah, we had a great trip on that, that my way catamaran. It's a pretty smooth sailor. I'm not going to lie. It was, I was impressed.
2: You know, when you think about these tall ships, by the way, we're speaking with Captain Johan Stanky. When you think about these tall ships and all the different sails and what they can do, is it the kind of thing where as much as you want to learn in theory, you don't really know what each sail is going to do and what the wind condition is. How much experience do you need before you actually know what you're doing out there as a captain?
11: Uh, yeah, well, it really depends. It depends on conditions. Uh, it depends on the crew, obviously. Like, we've, we've definitely – I remember we brought captains on board who knew nothing. But if you've got a solid chief mate, if you have a solid crew, then they, they can get you through quite a lot. Uh, you, you know, so, so you could have a competent captain who's like, yeah, okay, I know the shipping. I know, I know everything going on outside the boat. You know, the chief mate can handle what's going on inside. That said, obviously, you know – You'd be, yeah. I mean, a, a good captain knows when to take in sail and when when the you know when the boat can handle it, when it can't. Uh, there's a there's a lot of factors. You kind of you get used to it after a while. Some of it becomes intuitive, of course, but it's it's complex. I mean, I've I've dealt with you know I've managed crews of 20 people with you know 11, 13 sails. Uh, it, it can get pretty complex pretty fast if you start setting a lot of sail and having you know having conditions change. So, but I mean, that's why you train. That's why you practice.
9: So, Johan, you've been a captain for I think more than ten years, if I recall, and it's probably more than that since we we last talked because we've known each other for a while. Um, tell us, tell us some of the places that you have sailed to with your crew on a tall ship.
11: Oh man! Well, I've been up and down the west coast of the United States several times. Uh, I've been up and down the east coast a couple times. Uh, I sailed off. I sailed across the North Sea from Dublin, Ireland, to. Uh, to go Denmark on the Sea Stallion, which was the world's largest Viking ship replica, that was back in 2008. So yeah, I was in the Bahamas, uh, but mostly, mostly on the I'd say most of my experience was on the East and West Coast of the United States. Um, yeah, just going in and out of ports. We got some uh, really just I always tell people the, the West Coast is absolutely gorgeous, uh, very remote and rugged. It's it's really neat.
2: My uh, grandfather was from Roskilde and, uh, of course, the birthplace of kings in Denmark and a great Viking museum there <laughs> and in Aarhus as well. So were you on a, a great rowing ship? with somebody beating a drum?
11: Effectively, yes. We had a crew of 65 on a 100-foot open boat that was 12 feet wide. Wow. Uh, now, it took us six weeks to get to Roskilde from Denmark. Uh, oh, the actual sailing time was only a flight less than, I think, 12 days. So the very very fast boat, but you had to wait for the wind and weather because we didn't have an engine. So you know you could row some of the time, but but not out in heavy swells. So yeah, it was it was pretty epic. I'm not gonna lie, it was great.
9: You know, Johan didn't didn't you and um, Megan go for your honeymoon on a Viking ship? I mean that that wasn't really the luxury <laughs> honeymoon that I would imagine. Tell us a little bit about that.
11: No we we sailed on the Otar. She was a transport vessel and as far as Viking ships go it was luxury. Oh wow. We had like this tent and uh it was, you know, real really benign conditions. So I think I think Megan was actually uh and I should correct when, when you say chief mate you're speaking figuratively. Uh, my <laughs> my chief mate I think what we met was Catherine Pogue which uh who, who you guys uh interviewed but um but yeah, Megan is my chief mate in other ways but yeah, it's, uh, we had a great, we had a great trip. Uh, and definitely, you know, it was a good test of our relationship right out of the starting gate. So uh, I'm glad we had it. But yeah, I think she was hoping for an even more epic adventure though. It was pretty good as far as honeymoons go.
2: You know, something I wanted to ask you about your book, the greatest captain in the world too. being self-published, I see something for the lawyers. It says the moral rights of the author and the illustrator have been asserted. What does that cover?
11: Oh, man. Uh, you, got, you got me. I, like, no, basically, it's. I mean, I, I'm self-published. Uh, the, the main reason I self-published was because I knew, I mean, first of all, you could just sit on your, you know, you could write something and you just sit there forever and it'll never get published. Like, no publisher would touch it. I also thought just, you know, the book. the book isn't dumbed down. Like, I remember being a little kid and reading stuff and not understanding every word, but still getting it and enjoying it. So I put in real sailor vocabulary, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it'll be, you know, challenging, but good. I mean, it's something I wrote to be entertaining for parents, uh, as well as kids, but yeah, as far as uh, self-publishing, I just knew, yeah, I don't want to sit around my whole life waiting for a publisher to come find me. And I also wanted, when I discovered that publisher, so if you go through a publisher as an author, all they want are your words. They you almost never get a chance to choose the illustrator, the types of illustrations. You get no input there. And I thought, you know what? I'm an expert in these historical tall ships. I love history. I, I feel like I should be able to put in a little bit of input and make it something special. And I do believe if people read it or look at the illustrations, especially, like we, we started at the source. You know, I sent Andy, who was the illustrator, I sent him historical prints and, and paintings of the age, during, like from the age of sail. Whereas if you look at most, you know, historical or not historical, but like piratey boats, they're they're basically taking caricatures of caricatures. They're copying stuff from other kids' books. They're copying like anchor tattoos, and that's your anchor. It's like no, I, I, oh man, I, I remember one of the drawings. Uh, the the cat has to grab an anchor, and when I got the sketch for that illustration, I had drug anchor the night before at like two a.m. I was just like no. No, this anchor needs holding power. So I sent pictures of anchors. I put my sailors up next to fishermen anchors, you know, big anchors, so you could see the size and and get the idea behind what an anchor actually does.
9: Well, and I saw some of the sketches that you, that you did before you gave them to the illustrator when we did the first book. Um, and, and, and a shout-out to the people who were patrons from the St. Francis Yacht Club and the Daughters of the American Revolution, Revolution that I introduced you to who helped you get the funding for that very first book. You know, it, these things don't happen without a lot of support.
11: Yeah, no, they were—I mean, it was incredible. A lot of people came through, uh, those groups in particular. Thank you, Karen, for that. I really uh, couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, no, otherwise I would have had to take a significant risk and probably could not have at that point in time. So I'm very, very thankful for everybody that supported the book and its, and its creation.
2: You know, there's a picture of you uh, in this uh, book in the back, and you got the three-cornered hat, and it looks like maybe you're on the Bonhomme Richard. <laughs> the what? The Bonhomme Richard.
11: No, uh, it's, uh, I, I was on Lady Washington, I'm sure when that picture is taken.
2: All right. Well, everybody, make sure to check out the book. It's called The Greatest Captain in the World 2. And you can go to greatestcaptain.com, which is a pretty cool website. We've been speaking with the author and the captain, Johan Stanky. Thanks, Johan.
11: All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for having me interview with you folks.
9: A uh, pleasure and and blessings to Megan and your kids. Really appreciate you coming. Up. All
2: right. Thank you, Karen. All right, good stuff. And uh, you remember the the Bonham Richard, right? Oh, of course. Yes, or as we used to say, the Bonham Richard by, of course, John Paul Jones was it, the.
9: It depends upon how where where you come from in the in the world as to how you say that.
2: John Paul Jones, also the name of the bassist of Led Zeppelin, <laughs> thought I that because I know you're a musical person that's too. That's true. That's true. Salesporttalk.com, Pianofinders.com. Karen Lyle, thanks for coming in.
9: It's such a good thing to see you every week.
2: I agree. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back, y'all.
0: 800-754-4531. 855 325 1780. That's 855 325 1780.
6: Oh, come now, don't be ashamed. We all have our idiosyncrasies.
8: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
2: I wouldn't clown you. Welcome back to the show. I uh, didn't mean to throw a, a curveball at uh, Captain Stanky there. I thought he would know the, the Bonhomme Richard or the Bonhomme Richard. I did a, by the way, I did a report. This tells you about the American school system in a nutshell. Not to trash it, but I did a book report in the sixth grade on John Paul Jones. And I went to the library, and I remember my mom actually helped, went to the library and I copied pictures of books to the library. It was a nickel per copy. You'd put it in the machine. Then I cut it out and I pasted it in. Um, I turned that in and I got a B uh, in the sixth grade. And then as a senior in high school, I realized I had to turn in a book report like at 2 a.m. the next day. I grabbed that thing. I took out the front page. I put in a new front page. I had to cut the sides so it would be curvy instead of square on the ends of the paper. I stuck it in. I turned it in with the little kid writing from the sixth grade, A. Same exact book report, a B in sixth grade and A as a senior in high school And uh, maybe that's more a reflection of Salesian High School, private Catholic high school, (laughs) and the the fact that my history teacher was high the whole time. Maybe that has to do it, and I shouldn't trash the American school system. (laughs) All right, come on back.
6: Radio News with Lance Pride.
13: South African doctor Angelique Coetzee at the epicenter for the Omicron variant of COVID 19 on CNN Monday night.
14: Easily treatable at home, no need for admission. That's a first prize.
13: The Supreme Court will hear arguments Wednesday over whether Mississippi can ban abortions after 15 weeks not only is there mississippi's call to overrule roe versus wade to save the lives of the voiceless justices are already considering a texas law banning abortions where a heartbeat is detected that's roughly six weeks after conception NBA basketball star and outspoken activist on human rights abuses enes cantor born in turkey is now a u.s citizen since monday i waited wait for this moment like Six years now, and it's finally happened. It's like a dream come true. So America gives you opportunity, freedom, and you know human rights, and you can have anything you want here. USA Radio News.
10: Right now, we are being joined by Emily Dalton-Smith, who happens to be the head of Social Impact with Meta, and she is joining us to share with us how we can get involved in Giving Tuesday. Emily, take it away.
1: As another pandemic year begins to wind down, we want to focus on the goodness we see across our platforms. The power of social connection is changing how people give back to their communities, and I'm really excited to see how people will get involved this Giving Tuesday. I'm also proud Meta is supporting what's important to our community by matching up to $8 million in donations made to nonprofits. Whether you're supporting a Black-owned business through Buy Black Friday, donating to a stranger's fundraiser about a cause you love, or doing something completely different, I really hope people will consider giving. It can make all the difference in the world for someone and can be pretty impactful for the giver too
10: and emily where can we go for more information
1: you can check out all the details on how meta is encouraging giving back this holiday season by visiting fb.me giving season 2021
13: republican senator rand paul on newsmax is calling out dr fauci and his almighty scientist proclamation
3: but also it's very very dangerous because what about when he's wrong What about if he tells you to wear a cloth mask when you visit your grandmother who has COVID and it turns out the cloth masks don't work at all has he, been, has he really been reckless in giving you bad information? Or what if he says that we should vaccinate a country, but we should vaccinate everyone, even if they've already had COVID, and as a consequence, the elderly are not given a preference for the vaccine, and so you wait and you give it to everybody equally, all of a sudden, guess what? The people who have had the disease who are younger, that are at low risk, you've wasted the vaccine, and you haven't vaccinated the, the, those who are truly at risk, the elderly. He's actually cost probably thousands of lives around the world by the bad advice to vaccinate people equally instead of trying to target the vaccine to those who need, need it the most.
13: Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us at usaradio.com. We are USA Radio News. The South African doctor at the epicenter for the Omicron variant of COVID-19 was on CNN Monday night, relaying what she knows about the Omicron, Dr. Angelique Kotze.
14: The public needs to understand what we currently are seeing. It's very early days, and um, it's now more or less, uh, I, I call it day th- uh, four t- uh, 13, which since, uh, you know, we have made the, the diagnosis of these variant New variant that's going around so if you look at the severity and, and especially in the beginning of any pan uh, wave uh it's normally not that severe it's normally the the younger people that gets infected and then f- from there on it will spread and go further so hopefully we can keep the clinical picture as it is um, if we say patients are not um they, they are moderate um, uh, uh, um ill they're not severely ill uh in, I'm, in, I'm also part of a group of about eight doctors and only two, uh, some of my colleagues, only two patients at that admitted the past 24 hours, I'm not sure about that, those patients' symptoms. But the majority of what we are, are presenting to primary healthcare practitioners are extremely mild cases, so it's mild to moderate. So, so these patients, uh, is, means they don't need to be hospitalized for now.
13: Last night's Monday Night Football game, the Washington football team beat the Seattle Seahawks 17-15. to I'm Lance Pry, USA Radio News.
2: Thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the program. Rick Tittle with you. we got another two hours to go. Coming up after the break, we'll have the College Football Hall of Fame CEO in Atlanta, Kimberly Bowden. We'll also have director Luisa Marino from Mexico. She has a new book, uh, sh- sorry, a new movie, Jerry's Last Mission. And then Marisol McKee from The Schmowdown will join us at 1040. An hour from now, Arvis Petunus, Petunovs, I should say, from Latvia. Latvia, Soviet uh, Union, a satellite state, remember, back in the day. Now an independent country in the Baltic region. And um, their uh, national anthem is pretty cool. It goes, Latvia, Latvia, you border on the Baltic Sea. Your main export is cotton. Woo, Latvia, we love you. I don't know. I wonder how many people right now are like, oh, that's pretty catchy. Or that's a horrifying national anthem. But we're here for you. one 800 A play Hey, don't forget, you can always send an email uh, as well. Rick at sportsbyline.com. Rick at com is the answer. It is the key. And uh, we can always hear more from you. Yeah, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, Quidditch ball, chess checkers, rugby, cricket, all that type of uh, good stuff is here for you under one roof. Also, social media-wise, if you want to go to titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. That is the Facebook page. The Twitter is at Rick Tittle. Sportsbyline.com. Go there. Click listen live. If you want to send me an email, rick at sportsbyline.com. And also the TuneIn app, the iHeartRadio app, the Stitcher app, and uh, we have uh, Twitch uh, as well, twitch.tv. And uh, everybody's lined up to uh, check me out over there. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll come on back with uh, Kimberly Bowden from the College Football Hall of Fame on Tittle Lighting Sports.
8: This report is brought to you by IBM. IBM, in collaboration with Adobe, is now providing no-cost online coursework and a digital badge credential for students. The program is designed to help prepare teens for successful academic and professional careers by teaching them basic design principles and creativity tools that are highly valued by today's employers. All coursework is provided through IBM's Skills Build for Students program. Justina Nixon, Vice President, Global Head of Corporate Social Responsibility, IBM.
14: Students preparing for careers in any industry need to be comfortable with a range of technical and human-centered skills. Our intention here is to help inspire creativity and prepare students as they join the ranks of workplace professionals.
8: For example, the program offers tutorials on Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. It also provides a Basic Principles of Design course to help learners recognize what good design looks like and get resources to help apply design principles to actual projects. These and many other courses can be found at skillsbuild.org students.
3: Do you have a home that you don't want anymore?
0: 800-756-3744, 800-756-3744, 800-756-3744, 800-756-3744, that's 800
2: Check me out. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Anytime you want to join in, we will be here for you. If we get our guests, we'll, uh, we'll throw her on the air. The mayhem in uh, college football. <laughs> uh, you know, as bizarre as it was to see Lincoln Riley go to USC, <clears throat> when you start thinking about how much money he's going to make, the highest paid football coach in California... They're going to buy both of his houses in Norman for $500,000 over asking price. They will give him a private jet 24-7 anytime he wants it. What do you think of that? Uh, A lot of good stuff to go in. And then after we went off the air, we heard that LSU got their guy. Brian Kelly, the former Notre Dame guy, and before that Cincinnati, but 12 seasons in South Bend. And uh, he is the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame because he has 113 wins, 113 and 40. One national game title appearance a few years ago and got Notre Dame in the playoffs last year and uh, three years ago. Very bizarre. Um, I, I didn't see it coming. I don't know. I thought maybe he was he was too old. But um Kelly's contract is ten years, ninety five million plus incentives. He met with his team yesterday morning, they said for eleven minutes, and he got on a plane for Baton Rouge. Kelly said, I could not be more excited to join a program with the commitment to excellence. Hey, that's the Raiders, rich traditions. An unrivaled pride and passion of LSU football. I'm fully committed to recruiting, developing, and graduating elite student-athletes, winning championships, and working together with our administration to make Louisiana proud. Our potential is unlimited, and I cannot wait to call Baton Rouge home. Wow. As I said, it's... uh. It's interesting. The AD down there, Scott Woodward, said, quote, Brian Kelly is the epitome of a winner. He has built and sustained success at every program he's led, from multiple undefeated regular seasons and national coach of the year honors to national titles and college football playoff berths. His credentials and consistency speak for themselves most importantly Coach Kelly's players and programs exemplify excellence in all aspects of the student athlete experience in competition, in the classroom, and throughout the community. And he shares our values and vision for elevating our university. Why did I start reading this? And our state. We're thrilled to welcome him and his family to Baton Rouge. And we are excited to work with him as we add to the championship legacy of LSU football. Now, the draw to LSU, it's funny how you think of things because I think if you're in Norman, Oklahoma, you think, well, this is the greatest job in the world. We can get anybody we want. And everybody else is like, Norman, I got to stop making that sound. Norman, Oklahoma. Well, the last three Tigers coaches, Nick Saban, national championship, Les Miles, national championship, Ed Orgeron, say it with me, National Championship. It's uh, it's pretty nuts, but we'll get back to that in a second, because speaking of college football, it's our pleasure to welcome to the show the College Football Hall of Fame CEO, Kimberly Bowden, and uh, she's here to talk about how things are going on uh, down at the Hall in Atlanta. Kimberly, welcome to the show, and I know that you guys uh, suffered uh, the spring of 2020 uh, out of some uh, what started off as peaceful protests, uh, protests, they got a little violent, and the hall of fame was was damaged. How did you guys deal with that, and how are things now?
4: Um well, first of all, thank you for having me, and it is um, my pleasure to be here, and yeah, you know, I could talk about the Hall of Fame all day. And we you know definitely suffered uh, significant damage uh, during um, those protests in in may of of twenty twenty. Um, it, luckily for us, it was property damage. Uh, the actual museum was not breached, so we did not lose any valuables. You know, no one was injured. You know, everything that happened was fixable, and we were able to uh, reopen in July of 2020.
2: As a, a leader who is female, a mother to a daughter, what does it meant to you to be the CEO of the College Football Hall of Fame?
4: you know, it it has meant really everything to be, I'm I'm the first female leader of the organization and I think setting the example for, for not just my daughter, but for other women that, you know, if you want it, go get it. And that you can be successful, you know, within a, excuse me, primarily uh, male dominated industry. And, you know, I've just been so honored to be able to represent the Hall of Fame, and, and I think that's um, that's the most important thing.
2: And I think about being in Atlanta, too. It's more poignant, and we're getting a lot more love, if you like, for the HBCUs, aren't we?
4: We absolutely are, and that's, that's honestly been amazing to see. It was one of the first things that we did when we were deciding to reopen. We knew that... The, that the, the tone and, and what we needed to set and, and we needed to celebrate people who had kind of paved the way um, ahead of a lot of these protests. And so we opened with a very robust um, exhibit celebrating HBCUs and college football. And from that, it was so well received. And from that, we were able to get a permanent exhibit funded and that opened um, on actually on Juneteenth of, of 2021. And um, I think we actually had so much media coverage and so many people coming to see it. And with a celebration bowl right around the corner, it's just really great to see.
2: And you think about women in the game, too. Sarah Fuller, uh, first woman to score in a Power Five game. You got Sarah Thomas, who was a college mm-hmm. ref and then ended up ref- reffing in the Super Bowl. It's not just dudes.
4: It is not just dudes anymore. No, it is not. And, and, and like I said, it's really great to see. There was a, a, a story not long ago on a girl who kind of started her own high school football league for girls, and they're playing full-on tackle football. So, you know, football is a passion, and again, it's not just a passion for men. It's a passion for women as well.
2: By the way, I played Division Two in the 80s. How close did I get to making it to the Hall?
4: Well, were you (laughs) first-team (laughs) All-American?
2: Oh, I had to be that?
4: Yeah, they're kind of picky about that.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, as president and CEO of the College Football Hall of Fame, before we let you go, how can people find out more?
4: Well, they can find out um, pretty much anything they want to know at cfbhall.com. And, you know, we just we're open here in Atlanta, and just we'd love people to come see us and check out what we got going on
2: exciting times with the bulldogs down there huh
4: unless you're gator
2: <laughs> well you got a new coach
4: we do we do that's that's going to be pretty exciting I was actually um, in the swamp for Florida Florida State on Saturday so um, I think the buzz is, is going to be really good around um, Napier so
2: all right great stuff from Kimberly Bowden the president and CEO for the College football Hall of Fame thanks for dropping by
4: Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.
2: All right. uh, No doubt. And so let's take a break and we will come on back on Sports Byline.
0: that's
7: 800-693-8290. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Clapper, Chief of Orthopedic Surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Group in Los Angeles, California Goo a try, call one 330 3300123 and you'll receive a one week supply of Blue Goo absolutely free. The makers of Blue Goo are even paying the shipping. The number again is 1-888-3300123. If you want more information on Blue Goo, visit online at ww.doothegoo.com. Now available at Select
3: Big Five Stores near you. It doesn't really matter. I uh I don't like my job
2: and uh
3: I don't think I'm gonna go anymore.
8: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
2: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on American Forces. Speaking of that, joining us live from Mexico is filmmaker Luisa Marino, and she's here to talk about her documentary entitled Jerry's Last Mission, which is available now on Altavod, and uh, starting on the 4th, it'll be available on Apple TV and iTunes as well. Louisa, welcome to the show. This is a fascinating story about a fighter pilot named Jerry Yellen. He flew the last combat mission of World War II over Japan to attack some airfields near Nagoya, but that's only where the story begins. It really starts when he comes back home, doesn't it?
16: Right, yeah. Thank you, Rick, for having me. Um, yeah, Jerry had, uh, Captain Jerry had this fascinating story of literally. Hate to love and enemies to families. Um, yeah.
2: He had a lot of survivor's guilt. He thought about killing himself, even though he was married with four sons, right?
16: Right. So, yeah, I, you know, as part of the great generation. And at the time, nobody really, when they got back from the war, nobody talked about it. And now we know it's post-traumatic stress disorder. But at the time, there was no word to describe it. So, he had all of his baggage that he had no idea how to deal with for decades. Um, and, you know, so he comes back, he gets married, has four sons. Um, and it isn't until 40 years after the war where when his youngest son moves to Japan and falls in love with, with Japan and the daughter of a kamikaze pilot. And that's when he really has to face his his enemies. And, um, you know, later in life he does really have this incredible transformation and japan actually becomes his second home and he has japanese grandchildren and it's a really a beautiful story of the human spirit and how when we you know uh humanize others that we formerly thought were you know our enemies or just have those ideas about people um when we humanize them then it's just a whole new story
2: and, and not even just uh, you know humanized. You, you think about that war, and not just the enemy, but uh, you know the the racism going both ways uh, in that war. Absolutely. Yeah, and so and that generation, um, you know, the the way that they were programmed from birth, and then of course from just from the attack from Pearl Harbor, the racism there. How hard was that for Jerry to accept that his son fell in love with a uh, the daughter of the enemy, and, and as you mentioned, having uh, Japanese grandchildren.
16: Well, you know, it's interesting because what happened was that um, she was the daughter of a Kamikaze pilot, but this Kamikaze—he was a kami, uh, trained Kamikaze pilot, but because he was sent to China at the time, he actually never got to die for his emperor. So he lived, mm. and, uh, and 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 they actually met. And his regret—the uh, Kamikaze trained pilot—his uh, regret was. That he never got to regret, that he never got to die for his emperor, and also that he never got to kill Americans. And, um, and so, you know, they meet with these two opposite worlds, and you know, as enemies. Um, but then, after the wedding, they actually sit down, and you know, this is told in the story in the film. But they sit down in, in the bathhouse house with a translator, and they both talk for hours, and they realise how how similar they are and how their their values are similar in terms of family and education. And they they just come together from a new perspective. And they really just become good friends and families. Um, But, of course, you know, this was a process, right? So Jerry had, years before that, had gone to Japan for work and, you know, needed to get out quickly. And, you know, like all this uh, past came back to him. um, And he had a transformation through Trump. through meditation, transcendental meditation, where it really helped him to start sort of opening his heart to, and overcome PTSD as well. Um, but that sort of, that was the beginning of his journey. But then really facing literally his enemy um, and, and having this transformation was later on.
2: couple more questions for director Luisa Marina, new film Jerry's Last Mission. Uh, speaking of PTSD, the veteran mental health initiatives that he helped co-found, the Operation Warrior Wellness, he was a part of that, huh? Mm-hmm.
16: Right. Yeah. So it's part of uh, the David Lynch Foundation, and he was a spokesperson um, because continental meditation helped him so much in his healing journey. And as, with his, you know, his own words were that it helped him become a human again. Um, and so he was a spokesperson, and he talked. Um, in air forces and he would talk you know he would travel around the, the US um, to talk to people to uh, military to just talk about TM and how it helped him and so a lot of people learned through uh, him um, and they're just beautiful stories of, of healing in, in, in that community as well
2: you know I know that you did a documentary on Stratomatic Baseball, which I think is absolutely outstanding <laughs> because, yeah, you know, I, I'm in my fifties and that was still like the old, I was still too young for that. You know, I mean, that's a right, pretty right. fascinating thing. Well, how did you get interested in that? Because, you know, that's what kids used to play back in the day. Right.
16: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the, well, I was living in New York at the time and I got sort of invited to edit. The, I, I was the editor for that documentary. And uh, I was invited to edit it because there was this really cool story I had no idea about, um, you know, about all that world. So through editing, I found out more. But it was, you know, I was living in New York at the time. And um, and it was sort of like that was where it was happening. I was actually part of some of the shoots there. Um, so it was. Yeah, it was. It sort of seems like by accident, but um, it was just through people I knew that were creating the doc. You know, the, the directors and producers um, that invited me to to join. But yeah, it's such a really interesting world.
2: <laughs> All right, uh, back to Jerry's last mission. What have you um, from the family? Because I know he wrote a book as well. But from the family, what has been the response when they you finally got to show them the doc?
16: You know, um, they have been the most supportive. Um, uh, people, and they're wonderful, wonderful people. And um, the first time, actually, they saw it was Jerry passed away in 2017, and we were really good friends. And um, a couple of weeks before he passed, he called me and he said on Skype, and he said, Lisa, you know, I'm, I'm ready to pass, you know, to, to pass and pass away. And I would just love to watch the film, see the film. And I was like, okay, let me sit down and edit something for you, because at the time, I just had hundreds of hours, and not yet anything edited and so um, within a week or so I put together what I call Jerry's cut um, which is basically the backbone of the film of the actual film and so I took that to Jerry and to his family and it was such a beautiful uh, gift to be able to present Jerry watching the film um, because he was so moved and touching he had never he hadn't really seen anything and then his, his his family as well. His sons were really moved and just from there the film sort of evolved with the editing. But um they yeah, they they they've been really moved as well. And just knowing that Jerry appreciated it and wanted to watch it over and over and over again. Um, so it was very rewarding and yeah, the support of the family has been really without them it, it couldn't have been, you know, possible.
2: And uh, last question for you. What is, off the top of your head, probably your favorite moment of the whole documentary?
16: Hmm. You know, I think when uh, Jerry and I were in Japan in the museum, World War II museum, but it was a museum focused, of course this was in Japan, so in Tokyo, so it was focused on, it was from the uh, viewpoint of, Jap- of Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, how they experience it. So we go to the museum and we're filming and just Jerry is so moved and, and and it's such a like a heartwarming and also it's so hard but it's also so charming and funny and so he puts the the uh, uniform of the Japanese like you know literally his enemy's uh, uniform and he puts it in a way that it's so you know it's such a it's an important moment I mean just for so many reasons but then he just jokes about it and he's funny I, so yeah I think the the museum in Tokyo is One of the most important ones
2: for me, meaningful. Very interesting. This is a very unique and uh, very cool documentary. It's called Jerry's Last Mission, available now on Alta VOD. And coming up on Saturday, it'll be available on Apple TV and iTunes as well. We have been speaking with uh, Luisa Marino, uh, who's joining us live from uh, Mexico. Uh, Muchas gracias and uh, congratulations on the film.
16: Thank you. Thank you for having
2: me. Very cool. You know, on a lighter note, you know, he's, you know, Jerry went back to Japan there. When my dad uh, took a cruise to Korea with my mom years ago, they went to uh, Kamchatka, the former Soviet Union, and he got to walk the streets of Vladivostok. And my dad was in the 7th Fleet, the Pacific Fleet, in in the 50s during Eisenhower, and he was actually on uh, sink PAC, Commander-in-Chief, Pacific Fleet, Admiral Stumps flagship, which was the USS Princeton. It was an aircraft carrier. And um, they would chase Russian subs around. They were at uh, Koimoi and Matsu, the islands that Mao was bombing and then stopped after Eisenhower sent the fleet. My dad got to meet Chen Kai-shek. He had a sidearm. They said they wouldn't let him have any bullets in it because they were afraid that <laughs> they would assassinate him. There are a lot of things like that. But Vladivostok was the head of the Soviet Union Pacific fleet. And the, the think of that here he was a United States naval officer walking the streets in the 50s he would have been shot instantly or arrested at least and that was just a weird thing to him now that we're all kind of friends uh, in quotes anyway but anyway Jerry's Last Mission available from uh, Utopia Films that seems really cool we'll take a quick break when we come back Marisol McKee will join us <laughs>
0: 800-817-2968, 800-817-2968, 800-817-2968, that's 800-817-2968. Do you need to sell your home? If you've sold a home before, you remember how stressful and expensive it was. And learn how your next home sale can be faster and easier than you ever thought possible. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 800-449-1759. 800-449-1759. 800-449-1759. Again, that's 800-449-1759. That's 800 685 2080. I joined the Army
2: because my father and my brother were in the Army. I thought I'd better join before I got drafted.
0: Son, uh, there ain't no draft no more.
14: There was one?
8: Tittle always goes commando.
2: Thank you for that. And uh, welcome back to the program. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's uh, great to welcome back to the show the lovely and talented Marisol McKee because she's here to talk about on Saturday we will have in Los Angeles the Schmodown Spectacular 6 at the Globe Theater down there on Broadway. Tickets available at the Schmodown live and you talk about the singles championship match. It will be downtown Griffey Nooms versus Lady Justice Marisol McKee. Marisol, welcome back to the show, and I know you take this nickname so seriously that you do walk around with a blindfold and scales, don't you?
15: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't leave home without it.
2: <laughs> so tell us about Griffey. What, what kind of matchup is this?
15: Um, It's going to be possibly most exciting matchup of my season um griffin newman has been on a chair this season he's undefeated in both his uh, singles um run and for teams um he's become one of the most most formidable players in just his rookie season and i'm looking um on saturday
2: so for you how do you bone up i mean do you sort of uh, rehash things, or do you have to go start saying, all right, now I need to look at Austrian films? Like, do you start going to places that you've never looked at before?
15: Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, the, it's, this is movies, and the work never ends. There's there's hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of thousands of films out there, so there's there's never any point where you know everything that you could know, even the, the sereniest movie geniuses in the world will tell you that um, so yeah for it's, and if you want to be good at it you have to not just watch things and let them go you have to keep watching the things that you already love and make sure that everything uh, that you retain everything so for me my diet is a little bit of both all the time I'm constantly discovering new movies all the time and that is awesome and I am constantly revisiting my favorites which is like, is like having having your favorite cocktail
2: What, to you, was the most ridiculous question of all time, whereas they'd say, okay, in Notting Hill, when she walked into the bookstore, name three books on that middle shelf.
15: (laughs) Well, fortunately, we haven't had questions quite on that level in singles. If you want to hear crazy, crazy questions like that, you have to go to our Star Wars division, um, which is, um, it is. It is surgical, um, the kind of knowledge that you have to have um, to be at the top in that division, which we have on the Star Wars Championship on this Saturday at Spectacular as well. And if you're a fan of Star Wars, that is that is that is that is the event you want to see. Um, for me, for singles, as far as um, hearing the craziest details from a question, um, I'm a little biased because one of my favorite movies ever is Men in Black. Um, and... There was a question a couple seasons ago asking about specifically what um, Will Smith, in one of the opening scenes in the movie, what Will Smith says um, NYPD stands for. Um, and it's a very, very specific question. It's a great joke. I knew it because I love that movie. Um, but that is an incredibly detailed question. The answer, if you don't know, is knock your punk ass down. This is part of the joke.
2: <laughs> I which, forgot that. But What else
15: would the NYPD stand for?
2: Yes. Well, it's kind of like uh, the New York subway is MTA, and they call it money thrown away.
15: There you go. There you go.
2: The championship match for the Star Wars division, by the way, the Major Thomas Harper versus Dimmy Nikki Dim Atlanta. And I love the fact that then there's an inner geekdom championship match between the killer Mike Kalinowski and the spider Robert Parker. I like the fact that the Star Wars championship match isn't even considered the geek one.
15: <laughs> uh, there, yeah, we. I mean, if you if you love movies on the level, you're. The fact is, you're all geeks here. We're we're all geeks. I am totally a movie geek, and the people who love this and play this and who run this are all totally movie geeks. Um, we all have our unique um, our unique brand of geekdom. I'll say that. Um, inner geekdom um, is really fun because that entails Star Wars as well, but also kind of covers. Um, a lot of the things that you see, most typically at like um, any of any of the great comic con- um, comic conventions that go on throughout the country, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, um, Transformers movies, all that kind of stuff.
2: A Couple more questions for Marisol McKee. The uh, Schmodown at the Globe Theater here on the fourth. Uh, the uh, I'm not noticing too many. Uh, I guess you can't tell, but it looks like these are all dudes. You're carrying the torch, aren't you?
15: <laughs> yeah, well, ladies do your best. Um I uh I have um I became the first woman I'm really, really proud of, really thrilled about that great season. Um as far as my school career goes, I'm really proud to become the first woman um, in the Schmodal singles champion, um, a few months back. Um and then by default I became the first woman to defend it, um, the next month after that. So I'm looking to go for a a hat trick here um, and keep this train rolling Um, and uh, be the first woman to defend it for two times in a row.
2: You know, I think it's nice and maybe a little sappy, but it's also unbelievable if you tell me, hey, every single person in this competition is a great person. We're all friends. It's nothing but a laugh. Look, you're competitors and there's somebody standing in your way. So is there anyone who personally bugs you?
15: You know, it's fitting. Um, um, I I want to give everybody a hug um, that I play against because there are a lot of awesome people here. But at the end of the day, like you said, I kind of want to stand on stand on the bodies of my uh, <laughs> of people that I've defeated. Right? Um, that's what it's all about. I've got a I've got a sword that I use too um, that helps. Um, but me um, going into this match in particular this is probably the most heated. Um, rivalry of the season so far um there's a lot of hype people hyping up uh my opponent and the faction that he played for um and i think they're a bunch of buffoons and i would love to take them out <laughs> um so that's what i'm going to do uh but so yes yeah, to answer your question this is the juiciest matchup yet and i relish the chance to defeat the faction that we're playing the sim stock exchange
2: what is it? Uh, I mean, obviously you're, you know, a little bit famous now and you haven't become drunk with fame, but being that it is such a, you know, a, a social media type of thing too, where people are going to participate. What is, what are some of the weirdest things you've been asked to sign or marriage proposals or prom dates? What, what are some <laughs> of the more concerning ones?
15: If, you know, I'm really, really, really fortunate. I know um, especially being a lady out there, you can get it, it, it gets pretty crazy sometimes. You hear it all, and trust me, I'm from Philly. I've heard it. I've heard it all. Um, but uh, fortunately, um, we're blessed with a pretty awesome fan base, and the 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 eccentric um, the eccentric uh, proposals are kept to a bare minimum. I haven't actually received anything really crazy. Uh, I don't want to jinx myself because this is going to be the biggest show yet. Um, but so far. Um, I've been pretty fortunate. I've only met pretty much awesome people. Um somebody even uh gave me a shirt they made. That was pretty awesome.
2: Oh, that's it wasn't very a ring, nice. But it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beyoncé didn't say if you want it put a shirt on it. <laughs> well, now you know, at hosting a show like this, I have to have at least a rudimentary understanding of all sports, you know, not so much an expert mm-hmm. in one thing. And that's you. You have to kind of know all movie genres. So is there an area you're a little bit weaker in, like, I don't know, rom-coms and an area that you're, like, really strong in, like horror? What are your strengths and weaknesses?
15: I have no weaknesses. Oh, ah, yeah. clear that out right now. All right. Nice try. But uh, ladies, pretty impenetrable. Uh, this is not a secret so far I will say that I do really man I love me some Meryl Streep she is she's pretty much a goddess Um, she's a cinematic god and and I love her movies and I watch them a lot Um, I also uh, have speaking of geeky things uh, I really do love Harry Potter movies I love that I love that wizard Um, so if you ask me things covering those categories I will pretty much be lights out Um, and I'm adding more and more to those every day. I'm a big fan of Spike Lee. Um, Anybody who's from Little Spike, um, and I think he's a genius. Uh, Love his films. So if you ask me about Spike Lee films, I'll probably have a lot to tell you as well.
2: Let me ask you this. Now, this is a deep Meryl Streep cut, and I just had to look it up while you were talking. I was listening, by the way. (laughs) Um, What were the names of the kids in Sophie's choice
15: oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh man Oh, look you 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 are you're quick to the draw you're trying to call my bluff over here uh, Well no that's a deep Sophie, deep
2: deep cut
15: Yeah that is that is insanely deep I know it's a I know it's a boy and a girl Right and and spoiler
2: Right cuz she says no, take, the girl, the take the girl take the girl <laughs>
15: yeah. yeah. Um thing one and thing two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was Jan and Ava. Jan and Ava. Mm. And you know what? Who okay. knows if who knows if she even called them by their names in the movie? So that might have been a uh that might have been a a trick uh, question for you there. But everybody's
15: look, I learned something new every, every day
2: <laughs> there, Hey, that might save you. Who knows? Right?
15: <laughs> I'm I'm hoping on it.
2: Yeah, you'll just pull it out. Okay, everybody make sure to get your tickets live, The com because on Saturday down there at the Globe Theater on Broadway in L.A., it is the Schmodown Spectacular 4. Everybody make sure to uh, check it out. And um, is this going to be uh, streaming anywhere? Is this on YouTube or something?
15: Um, you can, yeah, um, it's going to be um, streaming live on YouTube. You can get tickets. Uh, there's still tickets available um, at um, uh, you can head to the theschmodownlive.com and you can still get tickets um, to the event or get uh, passes to watch the event um, as it airs uh, live on YouTube.
2: So That's Lady Justice. Don't m- miss it. Yeah, Lady Justice Marisol McKee going up against Downtown Griffy Nooms who doesn't know anything about Sophie's Choice. Hey. Psh. Marisol. Good luck. We're rooting for you. You're you're our guy, our girl. How do you however you say now? We're rooting for you. We'll just say that. Best of luck. Thanks for coming on.
15: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.
2: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back and talk a little sports.
0: 800-754-4531.
2: I don't beat my servants. Look, wrapping up the the Brian Kelly thing, because he was asked on Monday about uh, taking the job, Monday morning, and uh, apparently he said, uh, no thanks. He and his wife said, we want to stay in South Bend. His quote was, I mean, I was, look, I think Mike Tomlin had the best Ryan, best line, right? Unless that fairy godmother comes by with that $250 million check, my wife and I went on to take a look at it first, not to run it by her. Well, he's in. And this guy, uh, Woodward, uh, Scott Woodward, the AD, he's the guy that brought Chris Peterson to Washington and Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M. He likes the big names. Now, they fired Ed Orgeron. He went 15-0 at Joe Burrow. Remember that? But his last two years, 11-11. It ain't enough. Endless resources down there. And now they get to recruit in the South. And I'm telling you right now, if you're my age, Notre Dame has some cachet. I'm not going to say they still don't. But <laughs> when you think about the campus visit... With girls in bikini tops and Daisy Dukes in the SEC, and then everybody's wearing, you know, North Face jackets and knit hats. I don't know. To some people, something like that matters. We were just talking with Danny Cannell. He said, "I I used to live in Connecticut, and now I'm down here, and it's 81 degrees in South Florida. So you could say it's an odd fit. Because he never recruited much from the South, he's a guy from Massachusetts. He coached in the MAC, Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, as I, as I mentioned. But you know, maybe this is good for Notre Dame. They're top twelve every year, but they haven't won a championship since Lou Holtz. So we'll talk about some of the guys that uh, could be coming in to, to uh, replace him as well. But. When somebody says no and then they say yes, uh, the, the, uh, the pot got sweetened. There's no doubt about that. All right, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little Euro hockey and a lot of open lines. 1-800-878-PLAY.